This morning, we're going to continue our uh, series on the kingdom of God as seen through the book of Acts. We also spent a little foray into the book of Joshua. If you haven't heard all of the sermons in this series so far, I do recommend you go to our website or search for our podcast. Uh, enough of that, enough of me already. I'm going to hand this microphone over to my friend Claire, who is going to give us our scripture reading this morning. Um, this is Acts 2, 1 through 13. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under the heavens. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, are all those speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Egypt, <clears throat> Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Amen. So as I said, I have so many wise and important things written down here, but we interrupt this program. Um, just, I just want to remark upon just the sense of God's presence in the worship. I, yeah, God did already this morning what I asked him to do, and that was to kind of make me look good, so set up the stage. So, <laughs> We're going to spend a little bit of time later on in this service just waiting on God's Holy Spirit. We don't want to just talk about the coming of his Holy Spirit, we want to experience it. But before the blessing, I'm afraid, comes the boring. Uh, so... I just want to fill you in in some of the context of, uh, of this festival uh, of Pentecost. It wasn't actually a Christian invention. It was a Jewish festival known as the Feast of Weeks, which would typically take place 50 days after the Passover. It's those 50 days that give Pentecost its name. And at this time, Jews and Jewish converts from all over the known world would gather together in Jerusalem. So it was a really good time for God to pour out his spirit. It was a really strategic uh, moment. It would cause maximum impact as the story of what happened that day would spread to the ends of the earth. And I believe that for the same reason, there's no, there's no real reason why we can't experience exactly the same thing right here today. St. Andrew's, as we meet here, is a gathering of people uh, from all over East Fife and as members of the university from all over the world. And the same spirit is with us today, so we can, uh, 
we can know and encounter and experience the power of his presence and we can expect that to have an exponential effect as it spreads to the ends of the earth from here. Anyway, back to the Feast of Weeks. It was essentially what we would call a harvest festival. So um, in the Torah, God instructs his people to begin harvesting crops at the Passover, and then they would do that for 50 days, and then they would celebrate the Festival of Weeks. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26 has a long description of what people are to do on this day. I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to summarize it, but if you want to check that I'm not making up scripture, check chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. This is basically what it says. Uh, The people are instructed uh, as follows. When you've come into the land that God is giving you, you're to reap the bountiful harvest that he is going to give to you. You're to take the best of that harvest into Jerusalem where God has said his name would dwell. There you're to say these words to all the priests and all the foreigners uh, that have gathered there. Today I declare that I have come into the land that God has given us. Then you're to proclaim the story of how God chose you as a people and how when you were slaves under an evil empire, God rescued you with acts of power, and now God has brought you into his place of blessing. Having proclaimed that story, you're then to celebrate. How? Basically by taking all the really good food and drink and new wine that you've got and just eating it and drinking it and having a massive party. So in the Jewish religious calendar from Passover, to the Feast of Weeks, the people of God were to mark out these two crucial points in their history, in the history of God's acts of salvation. The rescue from out of slavery under Moses and the entry into the Promised Land under Joshua. And now here at the beginning of Christian history, the events of Passover and the Feast of Weeks are transformed into what we now call Easter and Pentecost. They have new meaning but they're also endowed with the old meaning of these old Jewish festivals. They still carry deep within them the ancient story of God's activity in Israel. Jesus, whose whose Hebrew name is actually Joshua, by the way, uh, died as the new Passover lamb, and that marked his people for salvation. And as the new Joshua, Jesus goes before us into the promised land in his resurrected, ascended body. Meanwhile, his disciples wait. And now at Pentecost, the moment of waiting is done. The, mo- the waiting is done and the moment of promise is here. And the people are experiencing an outpouring of his blessing so wild that everybody looking on them says they're completely drunk. And they're not just drunk on any old wine but they're drunk on the new wine, the first fruits of the harvest, the same that they're supposed to bring in for the Feast of Weeks. So what everyone sees in these these, uh, Jesus freaks uh, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit is in one sense something entirely expected. But the story that they're proclaiming is not something that happened 1,400 years ago with Joshua. It's something that happened 50 days ago with Jesus, the new Joshua. And something that is happening to them right now in that moment as God pours out his blessing and as they celebrate the abundance of the harvest. This story is part of an ancient story, but it's part of their lived experience. They're saying, we've been rescued. 
God was the one who did it. God is pouring out his blessing on us. The story is not over. God is doing an old thing in a new way. Anyway, uh, so that's a little um, dip back into the Torah and into uh, uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. But what about the actual experience of these 120 disciples who are sitting in this upper room? I reckon there's about 120 of us in this upper room right now. Let's see what God is going to do. All right. First, they hear this sound like a mighty wind, and then they see tongues of fire on each other. But these are not precise descriptions. Luke is really careful with his language here. It sort of sounds like this, and it sort of looks like this. Luke uses the same language in his gospel when he describes the Holy Spirit as it descends upon Jesus like a dove. The Holy Spirit isn't a dove, unlike, uh, you know, sometimes the dove is um, ubiquitous in, in uh, art depicting the Trinity, but um, yeah, we, we don't worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Dove. We worship the Holy Spirit, but he comes like a dove. There's something about it that is like the flight of a bird. And this is the problem that so many prophets have. Um, When you read the visions of Isaiah or Ezekiel or uh, John in Revelation, they're seeing something and they're hearing something that nobody normally sees or normally hears, and they're reaching into their experience and trying to grab words that sort of convey what they're experiencing, and it sort of gives us an idea of, an idea of what's happening, but it's, it's sort of inexact, and it's not quite there. The point is this. In that upper room, they saw something. They heard something. They're real physical senses were being bombarded with something. And it was something spiritual and therefore normally invisible, but it was breaking into the physical world. It had shape, it had form, it had sound. You could see it, you could hear it, you could feel it. And that song that we just sang, Spirit Break Out, Break Our Walls Down, Heaven Come Down, that's exactly what was happening here. This was the spirit world breaking into the physical world as we know it. And then there's this speaking in tongues business. So what's going on there? Um, If you've been around this church or other charismatic, so-called charismatic churches long enough, you've probably heard about tongues. You may have heard people speak in tongues. You may speak in tongues yourself. But how often have you heard it taught about? I haven't often heard it taught about, so I actually really uh, needed to do a lot of research myself about this. What the heck is the Bible talking about when it talks about tongues? So I've got a little bit of personal experience about this that I want to share with you, some research things I've asked at Pub Church. Quick shout out about Pub Church. We meet one o'clock every Friday at the Waypat. It's a great place to ask all your um, quasi-heretical questions. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and kind of uh, hammer out what you actually believe. It's a really good environment. Uh, at the Waypat, every Friday, you're invited. And this is what I've discovered about tongues. 
it doesn't actually mean tongues. Like, God doesn't give you more tongues. Like, that would just be weird. <laughs> and a kind of weird that we don't need, really. Um, I once, uh, I've often heard Toby actually say, not everything odd is God, and this definitely comes under that category. Having more than one tongue, not helpful. Not what's going on here. Glad that's out of the way. No, tongues basically means other languages, but what languages? Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians talks about God giving gifts through the Holy Spirit. And these gifts include tongues, or other languages, and the gift of interpreting tongues or interpreting those other languages. There's other gifts as well. There's healing, gifts of healing and prophecy, of wisdom, of knowledge, all sorts of other things. These gifts appear to be things that are manifested through individual people, but which have nothing to do with the natural abilities of those people. So if I can heal you through a touch, it's not me doing the healing, it's God. Or if I know something about you, if I can like read your mail, um, it's not because I'm psychic, it's because God put that knowledge into my mind. So God-given gift, a Holy Spirit anointing like that, is a God-given ability that sidesteps the natural abilities or talents of an individual. So it has absolutely nothing to do with a person's character, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit later. But thirdly, there seem to be two main types of tongues. Paul talks in chapter 13 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians about the tongues of men and of angels. So let's talk about the tongues of angels first, and then I'm going to circle back to the tongues of men. Because none of us know the languages of angels, I don't think there's a faculty for it in the university, um, then a, it needs the Holy Spirit to make it possible for a person to speak in the tongues of angels, and B, it needs the Holy Spirit to make it possible for any of us to understand the tongues of angels. Both the speaking and the understanding of angelic tongues are gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they're given to us for the encouragement and building up of one another. There's various instructions for how they're to be used appropriately. For example, if I were to speak in an angelic tongue right now down this microphone, we would need to seek out an interpretation of that tongue because there's absolutely no benefit to anybody if I were to do that and it were to be left completely, uh, uh, completely uninterpreted. Nobody uh, is encouraged or built up if that were to happen. However, it does seem permissible to speak in the tongues of angels to edify or encourage oneself. Um, that may be what you've heard as, as we've prayed alongside one another in ministry here. Um, that person who, might, who is praying in tongues might be praying for their own encouragement to, um, to open up their spirit to what God is saying, to what God is doing, and to stop leaning on one's own natural abilities, but to, to simply try and... Um, to try and lean on the gifts of the Holy Spirit in that moment. So that's what you might have heard. And when I first encountered the speaking of tongues, I was a, I was a brand new Christian. I had no experience of church culture whatsoever. And I walked into a church, and there were a bunch of people speaking in tongues, and there were a bunch of other people who were like, what the heck is that? And, um, and so there were all these kind of uh, 
people who had been brought up in the church for whom tongues were a new thing. So I don't know where you stand in that sort of mix, but I'm sure we have both kinds of people here. But as, um, as a new Christian and as a musician, I felt like I had a framework to understand what was going on in it. It didn't trouble me at all. And let me see if I can try and describe what I sensed going on in that moment. See, as a musician, I knew that um, there were things in me that I wanted to express but that I didn't have words for, that I could only express through music. And the other thing that I noticed was that when I picked up one guitar or I picked up another guitar, I would respond differently to that guitar. A different thing would come out. I would be responding to the character of that guitar. So this guitar has the capacity to say something. But it needs me to kind of move through it in order to give it a voice. But that voice isn't completely um, uh, bypassing the instrument itself. That instrument has a character of its own. And I sensed that as um, when I asked for the gift of tongues and when God gave it to me, I sensed that what was happening was God was moving through me but he wasn't just bypassing me. He was, um, he was gifting me with a, with, with a language and with words that even I didn't understand, that when I heard them, I knew I was expressing something deep inside me that I had no other language for. And so, um, and so I just didn't find it strange. I knew that when I picked up a guitar and I just played some notes on it, I knew that... Um, what I was doing was coming from me, but what I heard back was as much a surprise to me as it was to anybody else. So something about uh, being an instrumentalist that, that gave me a framework for understanding what was going on there. But anyway, that's enough of that. Back to the tongues of men, because that is actually what appears to be happening here at Pentecost. Uh, these... Uh, languages that are being spoken by the disciples are being understood by certain people as their own languages. These are existing earthly languages. However, the people speaking these languages were from Galilee. They didn't know these languages, so God had just dropped these languages into their mouths. This was so that both the speaker and the hearer knew that what was being said was from God. So that's your whistle-stop tour of tongues. I regret that time doesn't allow me to spend more time talking about that. This is not a teaching series on uh, gifts of the Spirit, although those obviously will sort of be woven in uh, through our walkthrough of Acts. But if you want to know more, please speak to Toby, um, or to Jeremy, or to Jim. Uh, or I've got some books here that have been really helpful. First of all, uh, The Dynamics of Spiritual Growth by John Wimber and... Kevin Springer, John Wimbers, the founder of the Vineyard, uh, or there's Come Holy Spirit by David Pitchers, who was in, uh, a British um, uh, Anglican vicar and bishop who uh, was very influenced by Wimber. That's where the Soul Survivor movement started, if you've ever heard of that. Or Jack Deere, surprised by the power of the Spirit, uh, an American uh, biblical scholar, theologian, um, but all of those absolutely brilliant books and really gets practically into the ministry of uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, moving on.
I want to end with just a few thoughts about God pouring out his spirit to give these unusual gifts of power. What is he doing it for? And then we're going to spend a little time just waiting on God. First off, this gift has already been promised by Jesus, and and, and they're having exactly the results that he said it would. As Jim preached a few weeks ago, Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So God is just doing what he said he was going to do. The effect of the Spirit has been to empower them, these these, um, embattled uh, disciples in a hostile environment where only 50 days ago they had murdered their master. Suddenly they're out there proclaiming that God is with them. Secondly, God isn't concerned just to bless his followers with these gifts. He's concerned about blessing the whole world through his gifted people. He blesses us so that he can bless others. He does it so that those who know God can reach out to those who don't, so that they will know his love, his generosity, his power. Thirdly, and a bit of a side note here, we're not to be surprised if we see God giving spiritual blessing and power to people who aren't Christians. Although God does primarily move through those who uh, deliberately follow him, sometimes he bypasses us. Uh, We see that in scripture from the words that come out of a donkey uh, to uh, Saul who is on his way to kill David and then accidentally prophesies. Uh, We see it in people who are performing healings and exorcisms uh, that don't proclaim themselves as followers of Jesus. So I want to say that because spiritual gifts are not for the super-Christians. They're for people who ask and for people who God just wants to give. This is not about creating a hierarchy of who is the better Christian because they have all these gifts of power. It has nothing to do with the individual's character. Character is formed. Gifts are given. He gives them for particular times, particular purposes, and he can just as easily take them as give them. (coughs) Lastly, I want to read uh, just another section from Deuteronomy, and this will come up on the screen. The instructions for um, the Feast of Weeks end with this teaching. Uh, This very day, the Lord your God is commanding you to observe his statutes and ordinances, so observe them diligently with all your heart and with all your soul. Today you have obtained the Lord's agreement to be your God and for you to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, and his ordinances, and to obey him. Today the Lord has obtained your agreement to be his treasured people, as he promised you, and to keep his commandments, for him to set you high above all nations that he has made, in praise and in fame and in honor, and for you to be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. This, folks, is covenant language. The Spirit is being poured out at Pentecost, not just so that the church can have a really good time partying on new wine. This is the ratification of what Jesus has accomplished. This is the confirmation of God's new covenant through the blood of Jesus. 
It is for the glory of God and it is for the salvation of the world. And it's available to us right here, right now. So why not invite you to stand? And I read in uh, one, of, uh, one of these books, in, in Jack Deere's book, he has a chapter, uh, it's called The Real Reason Christians Do Not Believe in Miraculous Gifts. Apparently the real reason, and I think I agree with him here, is simply because they have not seen miracles in their present experience. Now, like I said, I need God to make me look good. And I really, really need him right now because I'm going to invite his Holy Spirit to come and do works of miraculous power. So, who's with me? (laughs) All right. Father God, we welcome you. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and pour yourself out on these people that I see today? We need you, God. And I'm just going to be quiet now. And let's just wait on what the Holy Spirit wants to do.